Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. It was a dark night, October 10th, 1809 when an unassuming man stopped at a small, modest log cabin lodging house known as Grinder Stand. Differing versions of that night have this particular man arriving with several other associates, others alone. Traveling to Washington, D.C., this mysterious individual had financial matters to settle, and by many accounts, reasons to be guarded and cautious. He rented a room for the night and retired to bed. Later that evening, the innkeeper's wife, Mrs. Grinder, was startled by several gunshots and the horrifying emergence of her new guest, severely wounded and crawling on the floor, begging for water. Mortified by this ghastly sight, she froze, too afraid to help, and instead, the man was found dead at daybreak. Phew. Now, if that sounds more like the beginning chapter to a mystery novel or a scary movie than it does a history-based podcast, you're right. But after you hear the rest of the story, including the mystery man's identity, the fate of his body, and the controversy that still simmers today, you'll realize it's another exciting episode of the Missing Chapter Podcast, Mystery Edition. So welcome history fans and mystery fans. Maybe today, you can help us solve this 214-year-old whodunit. Hello, Missing Chapter fans. I'm Phil Schaff here with Phil Horner. And before we get into today's exciting episode, let's talk some coffee. Today we got brewed the Cinnamon Bun uh, from Utica Coffee Roasting Company. This is 100%, I think, uh, my favorite coffee that Utica Roasting has. It's amazing. Sweet icing swirled with cinnamon and pastry. I'll add to this description they have in the bag. It even has the cinnamon spice. So you get the mixture of like the sweetness of it. I didn't even use it with cream. It's so good. Uh, with a little bit of cinnamon spice. So it's it's really, really good. Sweetness, spice, it's all-encompassing. I yeah, love it. It actually tastes like a cinnamon bun. And I was saying to you earlier, Phil, I think my favorite Utica coffee um, is the cookies and cream. But that's seasonal. And it hasn't been out in a long time. Yeah. So I think this is probably my favorite. Yeah, amazing. This in the dark Adirondack. Absolutely. Yep. So, hey, mixing great coffee with a great story here. Let's, let's chat for a second. So first of all, we introduced this missing chapter mystery not too long ago. Correct. I think this is the quintessential example of a missing chapter mystery. Mm-hmm. You hooked us in the intro. Um, I actually said this off air, but I'm going to say it on air now. I think that was one of your best intros, by the way. Thank you. Um, it, it was, uh, yeah, a very, very good example of like, you know, horror movie, um, mystery novel, like you said in the intro, like really grasp you. And then to, to kind of hook, line, and sinker us, now mm-hmm. you got us. Where the heck are you heading? Well, Phil, you know, like in terms of my favorite podcasts, I'm a huge fan of like Dateline, 48 Hours. I love a good mystery. So if you can incorporate that into something historically based that people aren't really all that familiar with, that's right down my path. Absolutely. All right. And before I get started, I do want to wish my my beautiful wife, Erin, Erin Brewer, a very happy birthday. This past week was her birthday. And, uh, you know, she wears a lot of hats in our household. And, uh, you know, she's just a great wife, an amazing mom. And uh, I want to make sure that uh, that she enjoys her birthday, but also her birthday weekend, and just know how much I appreciate her. Awesome. Happy birthday, Aaron. So to get back to our story, Phil, and the identity of the individual who I described his death in the opening, 
I think is, is a shock enough. Captain Meriwether Lewis of William and Clark, you know, Lewis and Clark's expedition out West, his mm -hmm. partner on the Corps of Discovery's historic trek to the Pacific. He was a, uh, one of the confidants of Thomas Jefferson, they were very close to one another. He became governor of the Upper Louisiana Territory um, after his expedition, and an all-around American hero. He was only 35 years old when he died of gunshots, gunshot wounds all right, that I described, sustained uh, along the Natchez Trail uh, in Tennessee at a small lodging called Grinder Stand. Okay. So right off the bat, I had no idea of even... When you think of like someone like a Lewis and Clark, do you think about anything about like their life prior to the expedition, their life afterward? I didn't even realize he was the governor yeah, of a territory. So that that's the thing. So you, you think of you know that's exactly where my mind was going. Like with a celebrity, with a mm -hmm. uh, with an athlete, you always think about what they were after their right. Uh, what gave them their name, right? Mm -hmm. but, you, but leading up to that, I think that's one of the the things I love about our podcast is that we try to highlight some of the things, the unknowns of, of people's lives that led them to their celebrity status. Or... Right. And you you use the term. He was a celebrity. You, yeah. you, you tend not to think of these historic figures as being celebrities, but they very much were during this time period when they were actually accomplishing what we remember them for. Yeah, because by definition, it's, it's being well-known, correct? A hundred percent. But exactly what transpired at that remote inn um, 214 some years ago, Many, if not all historians, okay, agree that Lewis most likely committed suicide. But others, including a lot of his own family members, were not and are not convinced. His descendants today and many scholars who are re-examining and um, going back to this kind of quote-unquote cold case are campaigning to actually have uh, Lewis's body exhumed. Uh, it's currently buried on the National Parkland, not far from Hohenwald, Tennessee. Wow. All right. So Meriwether and Clark uh, had finished their expedition three years earlier. So, I mean, we think of Lewis and Clark. We obviously think of their their trek out west. Right. Okay. And, and the mapping of and the, you know, kind of taking stock of what the United States is gaining with the uh, Louisiana Purchase. It was three years earlier. Um, Meriwether Lewis, who was by this point, the point in our story, governor of a large swath of land that constituted what was called the Upper Louisiana Territory, was on his way to Washington, D.C. to settle financial matters. By some accounts, Lewis arrived at the inn with servants, while others, like I said, he arrived alone. So I think already details like that lend itself well to a mystery. True. Because people yeah. aren't sure. Yeah, that's a good point. That night, the innkeeper on um, who was working the desk, Mrs. Grinder, the innkeeper's wife, heard several shots. Several. She later said she saw a wounded Lewis crawling around begging for water. But as I pointed out, she was too afraid to even help. She didn't know if this was a, a scenario she shouldn't get involved in. She didn't know the circumstances. All right. And at this point in history, I can't hardly blame her. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. She wants to stay out of this. He died, apparently, of a bullet wound to the head and abdomen hmm. shortly before sunrise the next day. One of his traveling companions, who arrived later, buried him nearby almost immediately. So if you're counting at home, that to me is two red flags. Two shots, one to the abdomen, one to the head. Yeah. And he was buried almost immediately. Why bury him so quickly? Now, you have some historians who say this is out of respect. 
others who immediately, again, say it's an intention to cover up a crime or, or possibly a murder. I'll be There's, honest. That's immediately yeah. what my mind went. I, and I think, yeah. you know, as, as I went through and I, and I did the research for this, I, I too thought, why not at least let people come and, and examine the body 24 hours? Um, why bury him almost immediately? Especially with his with his fame, you know, with Correct. his name. Exactly. So. so interviews conducted with several of Meriwether's friends pointed to their assumption of suicide. So they just kind of assumed it was suicide right off the bat. Before he'd left St. Louis, Lewis had given several associates the power to distribute his possessions in the event of his death. While traveling to D.C., he'd also composed a last will and testament. Lewis had reportedly attempted to take his own life on several occasions, including just weeks prior, and was known to suffer from what his friend Thomas Jefferson referred to as, quote, sensible depressions of mind. Hmm. He'd also observed his companion's melancholy states. I fear the weight of his mind has overcome him, he wrote after receiving word of Lewis's fate. So now you have the people who are saying, no, suicide was in fact the way that Meriwether Lewis led his or met his fate. He had depression. He tried to commit suicide on several occasions. He was having financial issues and had recently penned his last will. So people are leaning, I mean, of course, with that kind of evidence. So again, it, it kind of depends on where you, the, the evidence is there to suggest both. Okay. You know, if you're going the, the side of suicide, the evidence supports it. If there's some suspicions that maybe this was foul play, I feel like there's evidence that supports that as well. And I'm not, I'm not just not to say that this was warranted in any way, but the trek that, that they were enduring mm -hmm. the injuries, the loss of life, the, the harsh weather, um, it would, it would probably, it would probably cause depression for a lot of people. And this is, <clears throat> excuse me, Phil, this is where I think our listeners, I, I hope they, they believe me when I say we don't share these stories. It's been a common theme that resonates because the next paragraph I'm getting to it's like you're, you're segueing right into that. Oh, perfect. In order to see if this apparent depression was rooted in any truth, we have to look back on Meriwether Lewis's career and his accomplishments. At the time of his death, Lewis's depressive tendencies seemingly were compounded by many other problems. All right, several you just touched on. He was having financial troubles. Again, most likely the motive for the trip he was currently on. And according to documented accounts, he suffered from alcoholism, as well as an array of other illnesses, possibly syphilis or malaria, the latter of which was known to cause bouts of dementia. Wow. So he was definitely dealing with issues, issues in his life and mental and health issues. Surprisingly, Meriwether Lewis reportedly was struggling with feelings of being somewhat of a failure in his, in his own eyes. Though the core of discovery had traversed thousands of miles of wilderness with few casualties, Lewis and Clark did not find the Northwest Passage to the Pacific, which was the mission's primary goal. The system of trading posts that they'd established began to fall apart even before the explorers returned home. And now Lewis, the consummate adventurer, suddenly found himself stuck in a desk job <laughs> and slowly slipping into a life of what he looked at as obscurity. Right. So you're, you're out in the wilderness, you're you're exploring, and then you're stuck to a desk job. Right, right. And if he, you know, if we're honest, we look back and, and we forget. I mean, a lot of what they tried to do or a lot of what they did, you know, it certainly 
pay dividends in the long run, mm -hmm. but through his eyes, maybe he wasn't as successful as he had hoped. So are you, are you still leaning towards suicide? I, I think so. I think so, but I'm not sure. I'm not a hundred percent sold. Okay. I'm not. So, um, I'm going to give you a quote here at the end of his life. He was a horrible drunk, terribly depressed who could never even finish his expedition journals. This quote was given by a Paul Douglas, Paul Douglas Newman, a professor of history who teaches Lewis and Clark, the early American Republic at the University of Pittsburgh. An American icon, Lewis was also a human being. And the expedition, according to Newman, quote, was the pinnacle of Lewis's life. Mm. You said, Phil, he was a celebrity. Yeah. Newman continues on and says he came back and he just could not readjust. On the mission, it was, how do we stay alive? How do we collect information? Then suddenly you're heroes. There's a certain amount of stress to re-entering the world. And Newman compares it to him re-entering the world as if you're an astronaut returning from landing on the moon. Wow. So, and, and, and I read those and I think to myself, yeah, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. if, you put the, if you put yourself in that time period, at that moment, you could totally see how these iconic figures in history probably struggled with that. Yeah. I mean, you hear about the, the, the lifelong dream of seeing earth in all its glory in space. You hear these astronauts finally doing that, seeing right. that, and then coming back into earth and being like, I, I went through a depression because yeah. it, it what just, now? what now? Right. Uh, you hear of celebrities, you hear of athletes, of course, like the, the prime example right now currently is Tom Brady. Right. What am I going to do after football? Mm -hmm. All I know is football. The, the, the limelight, the glory, the, the fame, mm -hmm. and, and then you take that away. What are you? So, I, I can totally, I can totally sense, I can totally see how this would cause right. such a manic depression. So you can see the element of depression. You can see, based on his actions, that suicide is probably a very real, you know, reason to to his untimely death. Mm -hmm. I'm going to present some evidence for the other side. If you're still somewhere on the fence, now we mentioned earlier on that not everyone agrees with this theory and this hypothesis. And there are certainly those that feel like Lewis's untimely death was not suicide, but in fact, foul play. Mm -hmm. There are some key pieces of evidence that keep that really these skeptics point to. The intrigue surrounding the famous explorer's death has spawned a, a cottage industry of books and articles with experts from a variety of fields, including forensics, mental health, all mm -hmm. weighing in. Scholars, Phil, you'll like this. Scholars have even gone so far as to reconstruct lunar cycles to prove that the innkeeper's wife couldn't have even seen what she said on that moonless night. We started saying how dark it was. It was a dark night. Yeah. No moon. And they're saying based on her position and where she was in the inn and where she claims, you know, Lewis to have been crawling on her floor and the forensics show blood, that she couldn't have seen that based on the lunar cycles. All right. And the so, other, I mean, people are really doing, uh, they're but, recreating yeah. essentially what detectives do nowadays. Okay. And the other, the other part that I, I've been kept in the, the back of my mind here since you've said it is that there were multiple gunshots. Mm -hmm. So he, he was fatally shot in the head. And I don't know if I'm jumping the gun here, pun intended. I don't know if I'm jumping the gun, but one, one shot in the head, one in the stomach. Correct. They don't know which one came first, abdomen or head. So, I mean, okay. it is possible to sustain a head injury, but if you don't hit your intended right. target, that could conceivably have been the first shot, and then you bleed out from the abdomen shot. But if you're if you're shooting multiple times at yourself, that's right. hard. That's right. hard to believe. And not for nothing, 
And I think I mentioned this later on, he was a skilled marksman. I mean, you don't take yeah. that trip out West without having the skills to do that. Do they have a weapon? Here we go. Oh, okay. Black powder pistols have been test fired, forgeries claimed, mitochondrial DNA extracted from living relatives. Wow. Yet even now, precious little is known about the events of October 10th, 1809. Um, after Lewis, get this, when he arrived that fateful night at the inn, he was armed with several pistols. He was armed with a rifle and a tomahawk. So, okay, part of me shows that you know, he likes to carry weapons. Well, mm -hmm. is it a matter of he realizes the danger of the, the trek he's on and the yeah. trail that he's on? Um, I would argue that you have to. Right. right. Yeah. You'd be foolish not to. Uh, quote, this controversy has existed since his death, says Tom McSwain, Lewis's great, 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 great nephew, wow. who helped start his own website called Solve the Mystery. And McSwain lays out family members' point of view in this. He says, when there's so much uncertainty and doubt, we must have more evidence. History is about finding the truth, he adds. And I think you and I would agree. The National Park Service is currently reviewing the request to exhume the body. Two of the most crucial pieces of evidence that skeptics point to are the face that Meriwether Lewis was shot, uh, the fact rather that Meriwether Lewis was shot twice, mm -hmm. right, which you just mentioned, and the immediate burial that his associates gave him. Now that's just pure speculation. An immediate burial could mean nothing right. other than we respect this individual, we're gonna continue along, there's no reason not to bury him. Uh, the sooner rather the better. But other people, again, if you're kind of leaning that way, say it is kind of questionable. Are there ulterior motives? Historian John Juice, who was one of the most prominent critics of the suicide theory, uses a very different astronaut comparison. Hmm. Lewis was indeed, quote, like a man coming back from the moon, Juice notes. But rather than feeling alienated, he would have been busy enjoying a level of Buzz Aldrin-like celebrity status. He had so much to live for, says Juice, who's a professor of history at the University of Southern Mississippi and the editor of By His Own Hand, The Mysterious Death of Meriwether Lewis. He continues on by saying this was the apex of a hero's career. He was the governor of a huge territory. There were songs and poems written about him. This wasn't just anybody who kicked the bucket. Besides, how could an expert marksman botch his own suicide and be forced to shoot himself twice? So I think there's two ways. I, I would agree with the last part. I think uh, the comparison with Buzz Aldrin being mm -hmm. at the height of his fame and that kind of thing. I know I, I keep likening this situation to 21st century examples. Right. However, I, there's nothing new under the sun, right? So, I, I mean, this is the same kind of uh ailment where you have someone who's at the the pinnacle of their i think of a robin williams oh, oh, right a robin example. williams i great mean example. everyone it wasn't like he was isolated it wasn't like he was right. alone right i, I mean, mean this man was beloved by our entire world really yes and, and you look at the the very very uh that, that's a great example but you look at the very popular very celebrity uh actors throughout the the world that have taken their own lives because either the pressure, the like, even though you have fame, that doesn't equal happiness, Correct. right? That doesn't equal joy. So we have, uh, you know, a 19th century example of this. Mm -hmm. I, I, I can see it. Yeah, I really can. Yeah. You know, and, and the other thing is, is if you're going to discredit the suicide theory, then what's the alternative? You have to show us, all right, then what do you think happened? 
Yeah, right. And and that's really Jew says I I can do that though. Instead, he believes that bandits, which were known to roam the notoriously dangerous Natchez Trail, most likely and pr- probably killed Lewis. Other murder theories range from the scandalous. Ready for this? The innkeeper discovered Lewis in a fling with Mrs. Grinder. So it was the the husband of Mrs. Grinder who was working that night. I mean, plot again, twist. plot twist and and totally out of the blue. Very little, you know, evidence to prove that. Uh, conspiracy theory, theories that a corrupt army general named James Wilkinson uh, actually hatched an assassination plot of sorts and and was expecting him there that night. And the two of them had a, had a beef, and that it was a really a, a premeditated murder. Juice believes there are a number of different viable scenarios that explain Lewis's death and that suicide is really too easy, too convenient. Okay. So you, all right. So I was, I was more leaning towards the side of the coin that was suicide. The one thing that keeps, keeps me drawn back to maybe center or towards the uh, murder side would mm-hmm. be the number of shots. The fact that he was a marksman, mm-hmm. um, and, and these extra stories yeah. here. Yeah. So though Lewis's own mother is said to have believed he was murdered, which again, I'm not really sure if, if that surprises me. That idea uh, didn't have much traction really until the 1840s when a commission of Tennesseans set out to honor Lewis by erecting a marker over his grave. And while examining the remains, committee members wrote that it was more probable that he died at the hands of an assassin. Unfortunately, the people who were part of this commission, they failed to say why, or they failed to document much of what they saw or based their beliefs on. All right, welcome back from the break, everybody. So once again, missing chapter mystery. Uh, Phil, you did a phenomenal job of painting this picture. So my brain is going all over the place. Mm -hmm. I have lots of questions. I'm hoping to maybe get some answers. I guess uh, I'm still on the fence. I, I'm leaning still towards the the suicide mm-hmm. uh, cause of death, even though I can see some very good uh, evidence for the murder case. However, I still have some questions about some of the things that that uh, Juice had uh, talked about. You know, some of the conspiracies involving the the woman, the the husband, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I guess my question is, what what can be done? Mm-hmm. To get some answers, because this is this is a a person that is very significant to the history of our country, um, to expansion, to obviously the Louisiana Purchase. Uh, there's so much that's involved uh, in in this person's name. I think I think they deserve, and I think the Americans deserve to know the the real reason, the real cause of his death. But yeah. what could be done in order to to find the truth behind this? No, and that's a great question, Phil. And I think you you can take kind of. You, you take a look at two different camps here and it, it takes a lot to exhume somebody's body and, and disrupt yeah. their final burial place. Um, and this has been a controversy now for a long period of time. On the other hand, I feel like if it's, it's his relatives who are pushing for this, mm. I think that's different than just historians. True. But I think most of us, especially historians, we like nice, tidy ends to things. We like yeah. facts. We like knowing, did this happen? Didn't. Didn't it happen? I mean, it's fun to theorize and it's fun to debate. But in a case like this, how much could we actually determine if the body is dug up um, and and would it change anyone's mind? So one thing to consider really, Phil, is that the science of autopsies has come a long way. That was my next. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say. 
You know, James Starr, a George Washington University Law School professor and forensics expert, uh, who's who's actually pressing to have the uh, the body exhumed. He he's actually pro this. For one thing, he says with mitochondrial DNA samples that he's already taken from several of Meriwether Lewis's female descendants, scientists can actually confirm that the body is really his his body at all. Corpses were not uncommon on the Natchez Trail. And he's saying, listen, are we even sure with all the violence on this path, maybe this wasn't him at all, which is an interesting what? fold to this story that I didn't realize until that, that very last piece in my research. If the skeleton is his and it's intact, uh, according to him, they can analyze gunpowder residue to see if he was shot at close range to examine fracture patterns in the skull. They could also potentially learn about his nutritional health, what drugs he was using, and if he was, in fact, suffering from syphilis. Historians would hold such details dear, Starr says. Nobody even knows how tall Meriwether Lewis was. We could do the DNA to find out the color of his hair. Are you kidding me? You can find out all that through... Amazing. That's amazing. Science is just unlocking every door you can imagine pretty much in, in terms with regards to history and, and past history, even into the 19th you know, century, which is unbelievable. So I'm amazed by that, but I'm also amazed at the fact that we're starting at, at, at square one here. Right. The, the fact that like, hey, we got to make sure it's his body. It's his body. Yeah. Wow. Which no one even suggested up until this point. But I think, boy, it's, if you're talking about a mystery, that would be a certain key element. Some scholars still aren't so sure that exhuming Lewis would clarify matters at all. Okay. Maybe Maybe there is an answer beneath the monument to help us understand, um, says James Holmberg, curator of special collections at the Filson Historical Society in Louisville, Kentucky. Now, he's published works on Lewis's life and his death, and he believes, quote, I don't know if it would change anyone's mind one way or the other. So the question remains. The question remains amongst historians. The question remains for you, Missing Chapter listeners. For arguably half of the nation's greatest exploring duos, will we ever find the truth about his death? Thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Phil Schaff. And I'm Phil Hornder. Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks.